Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Greg's Garage Pod. Co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. If you have some legal stuff you want to deal with, especially if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, go visit our boy Alex Asante. Asante, Bike911.com. Well, I'm Greg White, and with me is Jason Pridmore, and we're going to be ready to kick this thing off. Jason Pridmore, how are you, man? Good, G-Dub. How's things going with you? Good. I'm sitting in a hotel room in Yankton, South Dakota, getting ready to shoot two national tournaments. So apologize if the audio quality isn't as good as it normally is. Um, yeah, it, and it's hot, dude. It was 102 here today it's, or yesterday. It's supposed to be in the upper 90s, but it's going to be cooling off the rest of the weekend, which is good. We shoot two tournaments, one indoor and one outdoor. So here at the NFAA Center, looking forward to it. How are things with you? Good. Did you go for a jog already this morning in that heat like you always do? Yeah, no. I mean, it wasn't hot this morning. So, you know, if I'm not getting my sweat on, I, I put one of those like silver suits on. You know what yeah. I mean? And then I go out in 100 degrees just to really get the, get the sweat going. Love You're it. You're an idiot. Love it. Shut up. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, no, Jason, I'm good. Let, I'm, uh, listen, n- n- hold yeah. on. Next weekend, next weekend, yep. I'm in Pennsylvania shooting USA Archery tournaments, too. Two nationals there. And my Airbnb has a full gym in it and it's got a golf simulator. So it's like got the. The whole thing with the screen and it's, it's, it, dude, it's a sick Airbnb. That's great. Sick. You're going to love it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 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 yeah back to back weekends and shoot. And then you, and then you go to, uh, you probably go to Texas pretty quick after that. Coda. So for Coda. Yeah. 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 I think I'm home. <laughs> yeah. Wild. What? Six days this month or for a month over a month. Yeah. Yeah. September. Anyway, I'm so, be, so I'm, I'm the same. It's going to be fun trying to get the podcast going in September because we're going to both be. Wide mm. open, but it's good. All right, so let's talk about. Um, let's talk about. Can you talk about what you did Monday at all? Yeah. So yep. tell us about. Tell us after pit race, you yeah. end up not going home. Tell us what happened. So, I had found out that um, Moto America was uh, going to go inspect Mid Ohio, and uh, I talked to Chuck, and I I rode along with him. So Chuck and I, Asklin. Um, we, we left, uh, you know, Pittsburgh on Monday morning and we drove over to, to Mansfield to where mid Ohio is because I mean, Greg, you and I both remember what the heyday was like at mid Ohio, you know, back in the day, the amount of people and all that stuff. And what was funny is the little country road, you know, the little road that you drive in there, you know, right before you turn to go into the track, you look over to the right and I could see all the red roofs and it just like, it just totally reminded me of of, you know, just a lot of nostalgia, a lot of coming back to mid Ohio. And it had been 10 years since I went there. So we basically went there to do an inspection to see, um, you know, just kind of get a look at the track. We heard that they're going to be doing a full repave. And it seems like that that was something that was in the works for mid Ohio for years. You always heard about mid Ohio. Oh, it's going to get repaved. And it never did. But, um, but wow, they, they are, they've, basically got the same guys that did road America. They're going to repave starting in October, just like they did at road America last year, starting in October. And they're going to completely repave, uh, mid Ohio. And I went there with the feeling that nothing had changed since we had been there, you know, Greg. So like, you know, when you go through the last, last time you've been to mid Ohio, the last time we went, when we rode, like when I rode the KTM RC8 and we did the stuff with the Air Force guys, was that the last I, time you went? To I honestly Ohio? think I went there one one or two times after that. I think the last after time that, I okay. went there 
I think the last time I went there was with Francois Dumas. I went there because we were going to, he was going to do the national there. That's right. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was the, I, I, yeah, it was, it was the year before Moto America, I think, because Moto America now is nine years in. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But they're nine years in. Yeah, they started in 15, so you might have been there 13 or 14. I was there, I think, in 14. And essentially, um, you know, we pulled up. And it's the same entrance, same everything. Everything was just like it was when, you know, back when we were going. And um, we were pretty lucky. One of the owners, Kevin, actually flew in that day to meet with us. And Dan Argano was there. And and Chris Orich was driving back from Pittsburgh, back home to Alabama. And, you know, the 71, he had to take the 71 south. So he stopped. So there was four of us going to have a look at the track. And uh, there was cars on the track when we got there. So they kind of walked us through kind of some of the stuff we went over and saw timing and scoring, which was on the opposite side of the front straightaway. Remember that, that Brown building. Yeah. Is it still was there, there that old rickety thing. Still there, same building. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so my big concern was out of Thunder Valley. Remember with the right hander that would go up and over the rise and then that fast. Oh yeah. Okay. So when I got there, I remembered it being where the Armco was legitimately on the racing surface. It was to riders left on the racing surface. And the hardest thing for me going to these things is, you know, you, you want to look out for the safety of the riders. And for years and years, when I was part of the AMA advisory board as a rider rep, I used to try to get that, that fixed because all it is is a hillside in that fast kink. And I thought you can move the armco back, but it was always like, can't do it. Can't do it. The, the right-hander up over the rise that just precedes that little straightaway was another area of contention in the sense that if you did fall there, yeah, you could put air fence up, but it it was, you know, you couldn't move it because of the fence line and this and that. So when we had got there, one of the questions we asked was, what improvements had they made to the runoff? Because we hadn't gone out there to look at it yet. And they said, oh, it's the same as it's been for 40 years. So I was already like, ugh, because I don't want to be the guy that's hated by the track people because I want to come in and make it safer, you know? And um, Chris and I were both, Chris remembered riding there, and we were both the same way. Where It was like, ugh, it's going to be a, a tough one for us to sign off on when you look at that. So when we drove over there on the infield, we didn't get to go out on the track at that point. It was to my total surprise, Greg, that there was 10 to 12 feet of grass between the edge of the racetrack and the Armco. In fact, eight years ago, they actually moved that Armco back for FIA regulations. They actually moved all that Armco off the racing surface. So it's actually back a little bit. And I know I sent you the photo that I took of it. And um, and the left-hander preceding it, the one that takes you into Thunder Valley, um, or the right-hander, I should say, um, they've moved all that barrier back and added gravel trap. So essentially the stuff that we were trying to get kind of approved years and years and years ago, when the new owners came in to get reapproved, uh, FIA made them move all those barriers back. So essentially the job had been done for us without anybody really even knowing. Dude, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Was that the only spot on the racetrack that you looked at? No, you know, we, we actually got to go out and do a lap around the track. And um, 
turn one right now has already been repaved. So that was good. And what was funny is Chris said to me, do you remember how high the curbing was? And I'm sure you remember too, Greg, how high the curbing was in turn one. Oh yeah. And I remember when I rode for attack going through that left-hander um, before it was even a thing, I had the absolute, you know, what scared out of me because my elbow actually Ooh. hit that, that curbing Ooh. on the inside of one. Before elbow and, dragging was a normal thing. Yeah. 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 I mean like, you know, I don't do, I don't drag my elbows, but that curbing was so high that I remember that was the first place that I had ever done that. But turn one has been repaved. And then we went up through the keyhole, like that fast right left that leads you into the keyhole was always one of my favorite places of that track. And pretty much you know, one of my favorite places in the country. I just, I love how that flowed. And we went to the keyhole and there's still that famous concrete patch, although it's a lot further around. Do you remember how the concrete patch basically used to start right as you entered into the keyhole? Do I ever? And, yeah, everybody. Me and Chris <laughs> were just laughing about it. We used to yeah. freak me out. I I actually remember in practice one time in 750 Supersport back in the day, me tiptoeing mm-hmm. through the tulips, and you literally went around the outside of me, and it was like, I want to say it was three transitions in that corner, like on the, <laughs> on the concrete, off the concrete, on the concrete, off. And I yeah. remember sitting there going like, well, he's a, he's a bigger, he's a bigger boy than I am because it took me forever yeah. to even get a full leaning around there. But you know, and I remember you telling me, dude, just keep your eyes up. Stop looking at the concrete. It'll just, it'll just move around. Everything will be fine. And I'm like, yeah, Whatever. one day I'll tell you my, one day I'll tell you, you know, when we're bored during the off season, I'll tell you how that stuff came about for me as far as like, looking at concrete and sealers and all those things and how I kind of got over that. Um, but yeah, so we were laughing cause we all were standing up there in, in the keyhole. And the, like I said, there was Chris, Dan and Chuck and myself and, uh, and, and then, and Kevin was there. And then one of his helpers, Ben was there. So there were six of us standing there. And I said, you know, when you repave the track, you should just leave this concrete here because it's kind of a historical kind of piece of mid Ohio. <laughs> and you know, of course everybody laughed at me like it's not happening. We're getting rid of it. Um, yeah. Thank goodness. But you know, you get on the end of the back straightaway and you got the, I, what is it? I guess it would be considered turn four and, or five. And then you, and then you go up that little left-hander. Um, I yeah, remember back in the day, hill, the left-hander. Yeah. Yes, so the right-hand yes. side is the, is the, uh, the, the, the hillside where people would sit and observe, you know, watch. Yep. Right. So it's turn five, I think it is anyways, but end of the back straightaway, go through turn five and then you go through turn six, the left-hander that you're speaking of now. They used to always put those dog boxes on the edge of the racetrack because the Armco again came all the way to, the Armco actually came all the way to the racing surface. And um, so they used to put those big foam like dog boxes or whatever you call them and you'd see the bike slide underneath those. Generally, the rider would always stop short of it because... It's a little uphill and it's so slow. Remember that? Yeah. So again, that Armco has been moved back probably, I didn't go out and measure it, but probably a good 10 to 15 feet off the racing surface. I I mean, look, it was super encouraging for all of us because I think mid-Ohio, I was told that mid-Ohio from a fan perspective, gets written to, Roto, to Moto America more than any, any track that we go to in the sense that people would love to see a return to Mid-Ohio. Correct. And and they, they fixed all these problems some eight years ago. The thing is, though, Greg, is that the racing surface itself 
wouldn't have really allowed us to go back there and race in the last eight years because the surface was so bad in the sense that it had, it was very slippery. And if it did rain, um, if it did rain, we, we wouldn't have been able to ride there anyways. So, um, all that said, you know, it was a very, very positive, um, inspection I felt. And now, you know, Moto America and, and mid Ohio will get together and try to work out whatever they have to work out. And, um, there's, there's a possibility, I think that, that we could see mid Ohio if, you know, in the future, I don't know if it would be next year or not, but in the future, I think there's a very good chance that mid Ohio could be put back on our calendar. And that would be a, that'd be a major welcome. That is just so, I mean, when I, when you first told me you were going, I had no idea they made those changes eight years ago. And I just thought there's no shot. So it's just such good news just to hear. Is there, is there anything that you would like? So, so your safety assessment is we're good to go or they, do they need to make any other changes or just add some things? Like, is there anything, you don't have to be specific with it, but no, is there a little bit of changes they need to make to make it where you feel like it's going to be safe enough to race? There's one change that we asked them to make where when you come up over Thunder Valley into that fast kink, there's a, a wall on rider's left that actually bends in towards the racetrack. And we asked them, could we move that back five feet? So then it would make it more flush down the straightaway. In other words, mm-hmm. there would be no, the, 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 the problem was for Dan was um, that it, it's a place, Greg, where I, nobody would get to. Okay. I don't think anybody would, Chris and I both agreed that nobody, it would take something ironically strange for p- someone to fall there. But um, if we did have a problem, because weird stuff happens at racetracks, we felt it would be a nice safety feature if we could get them to move that wall back five feet. And so they brought in one of their guys and um, they're going to look at that about making the wall more flush down the left-hand side there. Um, and the mm-hmm. problem is for Dan uh, deploying all the Road Racing World Action Fund um, air fence it's difficult to bend that stuff around subtleties. So if we can make that flush, it makes us easier to just protect the riders on their left-hand side there. Again, there's yeah, more grass and runoff than there used to be. Some crazy. Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> or up in the rain or something. But the neat thing is, is that when you go through that fast kink now, the very, very fast right-hander, the way the Armco has moved back and how they did it, and it would be one of those things I'd have to kind of show you, but if there was a problem now, you'd essentially run off into grass, like a grass area. It wouldn't be as um, unforgiving as it used to be. And, and you know, Greg, I don't really remember any problem, not once, that I ever raced at Mid-Ohio in all the years that we raced there. That fast kink that I used to always say is the problem for me, they used to always fire back with, we've never had anybody crash there. And I was always like, yeah, but if it rains or two guys get together or whatever, you have to protect us from that. And now that's not as big of a concern. So for sure, I think that it would be, um, for me personally, it would be a place I'd be very comfortable riding there now um, and and comfortable seeing events get rid, uh, you know put on there. Well, that's exciting. It's exciting to hear and hopefully something gets worked out. And we go back to mid-Ohio because I know, just like you're saying, since the beginning, that's been the number one track requested by people. It really hits a good central area. There's still very, you know, a lot of people interested, and so it's going to be good. Well, thanks for that, JP. Um, 
you know, we yeah. still bless you. We still have like this podcast. We're going to be talking about Moto America, about we were at pit race over the weekend. We're going to talk about some Moto GP and we'll briefly touch on pro motocross to see if Jet Lawrence is still clean. But before we do any of that, it's right now time for our news presented by Arai. Ooh. All right. Helmets made by the dedicated hands of those who work at Arai have shown examples of supreme protection for decades. The numerous improvements by their experienced hands and personal desire to further the protection of riders' heads are among the many reasons Arai helmets perform the way they do. From our very first helmet to those we make today, rider protection remains our first priority. And we at Arise shall never forget the value of what we have been seeking to protect is priceless. All right, so let's see. The first thing that we're going to talk about here is I know we're going to talk about results, Jason, for Moto America. So I'm not really giving yeah. it away, but I think it's kind of a news item, which is let's talk about Junior Cup Avery Dreyer. I want to say huge congratulations to Avery Dreyer and his Junior Cup National Championship. After his win on Sunday, um, Rossi Moore, who finished second, who kept the championship hopes alive as they go to their last two races in Jersey, was disqualified in a post-race tech inspection due to illegal wheel bearings. So that means that no one can catch Dreyer. Look, you know, it's a bummer that he didn't get to celebrate on the podium and get the number one plate, but he will in Jersey. So your thoughts on this? You know, do you have any questions for me about... (laughs) Illegal wheel bearings. <laughs> no, um, it's a, it's just a. I feel bad for Avery more than anything, um, because there's nothing quite like getting to celebrate your number one plate as it happens. You know, like when it when it, it and they're going to present it to him at New Jersey, and they'll do that, which is great, and for his team and his family and his friends and everybody else, um, it'll be great. Uh, but. When you do it on that day and you get to celebrate it at the end, um, the, the way he would have got to, um, it's just a bummer that he didn't get to do that at Pittsburgh, but these things happen and, you know, um, he's ridden great this year. He's done a tremendous job. He's won races. He's put himself in position to win races at every, every one that we've gone to. So con- big, huge congrats to him. And, um, you know, he'll be back. He'll be back swinging at Jersey. He can go into there now a little bit more free. And, you know, I think he was riding pretty free anyways, though. Don't you think, Greg? I think he he had kind of things smart. under control. Yeah, 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 smart. And I feel like he was the one that just stepped up this year and um, was pretty much there weekend and week out. We really didn't see him have too many bad weekends. And Brainer was the only one I can think of that was, I, I guess, considered kind of a bad weekend with an accident in the first one. And uh, he didn't get on the podium there. But, um you know, he came back at the next one and 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 did real, obviously he killed it this last weekend. Yeah, I definitely did. On the bearing side of things, I mean, look, I know that in talking to Rossi Moore and his crew at the beginning of the weekend, I found out more. You know, the bikes of 2018, it's a used bike, it's this and that. Just, just, just caution the race teams. If you buy, you know, I'm not saying that this happened necessarily. Yeah. I'm not saying that they didn't put the bearings in or whatever, but somehow I have to think that maybe they bought some used wheels and they never really checked the bearings. It's your responsibility. So I know that the rule book, I did look at the rules, Jay, in terms of that stuff. And so basically, I mean, I only know like two materials that bearings are made out of, which is steel or ceramic. So I don't know exactly what happened there, 
but I know that you don't have to replace the bearings with exact stock bearings. You could, you have to replace them with bearings that are the same, right? So right. you can buy aftermarket bearings and replace them. So the only thing I can think of is ceramic bearings. And so I, you know, I know Rossi Moore, I know his dad and everything. They're not really the people that, that build the bike. They have someone else. So it could have been a situation where they got some used wheels and just never pulled it apart to look at it. And it's a bummer that it ends up that way, but Braver Dreyer, he'll get to celebrate at Jersey. It's all good. All right, let's switch to MotoGP, Jay, because I don't know, kind of a kind of a big deal. It was a bit of a surprise. Was Johan Zarco leaving Ducati for LCR Honda? What are your thoughts on that whole situation? As Zarco has now come out and said, well, LCR or Honda gave him a two-year deal, and Ducati was only going to give him a one-year deal. So, what are your thoughts about that? It, you know, it's it's pretty wild. There's a lot of things that have happened this morning. You know, before we did this podcast, you know, I got up and saw that. Jake Dixon staying with uh, with his team next year in Moto2. Saw Arbolino had re-signed with Mark VDS yesterday. So those are the two big names that were going to go to MotoGP. So I definitely have some questions on who might be, might be coming. There's a lot of really crazy things happening over there. Um, our boy Steve English is at the Manx GP at the Isle of Man right now. And so um, I haven't wanted to reach out to him and bug him because I know he's on course shooting photos today. Um, but that said, what's crazy to me is Zarco basically had a one-year deal to stay with where he was at and then the potential to go to World Superbike on the factory Superbike, um, from what I have been told, for for like a two-year deal there. So he would get two years to go ride World Superbike. So, you know, when you're his age right now, I'm thinking to myself, well, if you did one more year in MotoGP – and you could choose right now, Greg, what bike do you want to be on in MotoGP? I would think the Ducati. To then go to World Superbike. Um, or or Jason, on, or, yeah. or not the Honda. How's that? <laughs> or not the Honda. Very well put. Um, so you got that, and then you think to yourself, and then you can just step right over into a factory role, uh, maybe in World Superbike. The ironic thing about this thing to me is the fact that Ducati kind of saves Zarco, if you think about it. He quit riding for KTM, what, four races in? Like, just quit. And he rode the Suzuki in a wild card. And he's he's rode the, you know, we've seen him on the Yamaha in the past. So you think about this. I think Honda is almost, right now, in a worse place than where KTM actually started. Um, and he quit the KTM team. And he, if you remember, Greg, he was kind of signed as their number one rider. Um when that thing started and he was uncompetitive. He was crashing all the time and, um, and he, and he quit. Well, the Honda right now, when you want to start about talking about being uncompetitive, that's about as uncompetitive as it gets. And if you look at the riders, they're crashing all the time. Um, so I don't really know what it could have been that Honda said to him other than they opened up their checkbook. Um, you know, maybe they wanted well, to get a guy like Zarco. Let's look at this too, Jay, with, yeah. with Zarco. The one thing we do know about Zarco for the last couple of years is he's he's been Ducati's on-track test rider. So if there's a new part that Piro right. tests and they want to roll it in, he would be the first guy to get that stuff. Yep. And maybe that's great. That's great. Honda, right, right. But maybe Honda's looking at Zarco, and this is probably why they backed the, the, the Brinks truck up to him. That's right. And said, you're going to fulfill the same role at Honda. We have a lot of things that we're going to be trying over the next couple of months and, and, and into the season. 
you're going to do the same thing. We're going to test this stuff, but then we're going to put it on your bike before we put it on Marquez's bike and you're going to give it a go. That's the, that's the only thing I can think of yeah. other than Zarco is thinking, all right, this is the last two years of my career. I want to be here in MotoGP. I don't want to do the world Superbike thing and hold on. And I'm just going to end it up with Honda beyond that. And it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like Zarco's that guy. Yeah. You know, I was going to do I, that, but I agree with you. I, I agree. And I think that, um, well, here's the other thing that you have to think about, right? Is that they brought Mir and Rins over from Suzuki to Honda. And they brought the main guy from Suzuki's uh, uh, engineer. They brought him over to Honda. And where has Honda gone? Like, really, they if anything, they're actually worse than they were last year. One of the riders has already quit and going to Yamaha next year in Rins. I'm sure Mir would have loved to figure out a way to get out of his contract. Um, but here's Zarco going, hey, take me. I'll come in. And so they must have paid him a lot of money, which is okay. But 20 races in a season doing two races a weekend is a lot on a bike that's uncompetitive and that's proven to itself right now to throw people down the road. And I know they've got a Mizano test coming up that's going to determine a lot of things. I feel like we could do a full show on MotoGP right now. <clears throat> just off of some of the things that I've read today, Greg, um, because you have to ask yourself, we know Morbidelli is going to end up on a Ducati. Is that going to be with Grassini or is it going to be Pramac? You got to think it's going to be Pramac now because Bedzecki's chosen to stay with Mooney along with Marini. Deji Antonio is a funny one to me because everybody keeps talking about how he's not going to be there next year, but I'm not really reading about it lately. Like Deji Antonio is, Still with Grassini, does he stay? And then this morning I woke up and I did some reading and I told you about this. Um, MV Augusta wants back in now. So KTM has not been allowed. They've got five riders and four seats. They've not been allowed to start another team and basically take where Suzuki left over. And now it sounds like MV Augusta, which has um, like a, I think it's 25 25- 25.1% interest in KTM. They could come in and rebrand bikes as MV Augustas. And now they're talking about Marquez and they're talking about all this, all this wild talk. I think there's going to be some major, major, major shakeups in the next month or so in MotoGP. Um, because I even read that Jack Miller would be on the chopping block at KTM to make room for Acosta. Um, which means if they did that, they're obviously starting another team. There'll be another team started with, you know, probably right, on so, KTM. So, here's, here's, so it's, it's wild. Here's the good news. Yeah. Next week, we only mm-hmm. have pro motocross to talk about. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll dive in a little bit more because we'll know another week down the road. So know, much happening. Stuff that's coming out. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. We'll dive into it. Yeah, so let's Brad, just get started. With, so we'll talk about MotoGP, like you say, GW. I think it's a good yeah, call next week. Brad Bender, we'll Brad Bender let, it, let it out that he two more years with KTM. That's no big deal. I mean, you know, of course, that's that's the move for KTM. It's a move for Bender. We're all happy about right. that. But why don't we uh, – and so that's your news presented by Arai. So why don't we move on to the next let's, thing on the docket? I think that what I'd like to do is, is you know, for, for our Moto America roundup from Pitt, um, first off mm-hmm. – we had three different days of weather there. The first day was cool and super breezy. <laughs> Second day was kind of a little bit warmer with not as much breeze. And the third day was, was quite a bit warmer on Sunday. It was hot. So 
we had three different days, but we had one guy that just always continues to find himself at the front. And I think that instead of going through every result, I think we should just celebrate the fact that Jake Gagne has won his third Superbike championship. And he did it in pretty crazy style because I think there wasn't really too many of us that were thinking of the championship. Well, I know I wasn't thinking that the championship was going to be wrapped up at Pitt. I think that, you know, we knew that Cameron and, and Heron were still in with a shout. And I thought, well, it's going to go to Coda. And then after the race two that Gagne wins on um, Saturday, uh, I'm sorry, after race one in the morning on Sunday, um, the second race of the weekend, all of a sudden I just looked at you and said, Greg, I think you can win the championship in the next race. And we both kind of looked at each other like, is that even possible? And it was. And it's been a different year this year for Jake. Wouldn't you agree? Totally different year for Jake. I mean, yeah. it hasn't, it hasn't. Yeah. What reared its ugly head was competition. And what gave us a glimmer of hope that this championship would really go down to it was the fifth round of the season, which was Road America race number one, where Gagne scored zero points and Cameron Bobier won the race. Yes. Then all of a sudden we had a tighter, a tighter deal. But after that, it's been nothing. Gagne hasn't been off the podium. And the thing about Jake is he's really pivoted from – if you look back to his first year after Bobier left, Gagne will admit he wanted to stomp dicks. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to beat everybody by the largest margin. He went and put, put things at risk. He's matured in these couple of years, and he took the third place when he needed to take the third places, you know, yeah. of, of these podiums. Yeah. And he was able to get wins when he got wins. And, you know, I think that he just went out there, honestly, went out there and just said, all I want to do is just win the next race. What do I have to do to win the next race? And then everybody else just kind of started playing chess behind him. And it was Heron only scoring 10 points in that first race that kind of opened the door for, for it all to happen. And then, you know, Bobier as well, you know, his problems over the weekend just crushed it all. And so it's, it feels like Gagne would just sit there and do his thing. And everybody else was behind him struggling, success, struggle, success, struggle. And Gagne right. was just steady Eddie. Yeah, you're dead right. And you look at the two main challenges he had. He had Cameron Bobier, fresh out of Moto2 uh, for two years and getting used to a new team and a new bike. Had extreme success at the beginning of the year right off the bat. And we're like, whoa, like wasn't really expect. I wasn't really expecting him to win as early as he did. And then you had Josh Heron. Race who, one. Yeah, no yeah, kidding. Yeah, race one in Atlanta. And then, then you look at Heron who – steps up after winning super sport championship last year with Warhorse, And um, he's actually been probably the bigger surprise for me this year in the sense that I love how he's kept his head about him a little bit more in the sense of, of uh, race wise, he's continued to move, make improvements. And this weekend was no different. I mean, Greg, I watched him on Friday struggling and he was back in like ninth on Friday. And it was like, you know, even if he could put in one single lap time, they weren't sustainable. And then on Saturday, he ends up finishing sixth, 14 seconds back in race one, um, ending up sixth and not really, not really close. Like, you know, 14 seconds, a long way back. And then all of a sudden in, in uh, race two on the restart, he ends up getting a podium, getting past, you know, dealing with Matthew Skoltz, gets himself on the podium. And then in race three, he ends up on the podium again, Heron does. And so he really rescued his weekend. But it was Gagne up front doing his thing. And then, of course, got to talk about Cameron's big crash coming out of the chicane. Um, Ashton Yates sounded to me. Someone told me Ashton Yates has taken, was taking a bit of a beating on 
the old social media platforms because people are idiots and saying that, you know, he chopped the throttle or he did this or he did that. You know, the guy, yeah, he's been incredible this year. Ashton has. And yeah. And I had a friend of mine yesterday go, God, can you believe the people talking about Ashton? I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like, what are they saying? And, um, but yeah, Ashton, um, he had a problem with his bike and his bike kind of, when he went to go get back in the throttle, um, there, there was, was no, no power. response. There was no response. Yeah. And Cameron was, you know, went up the back of him. Hayden ended up hitting him, Gillum. I mean, Cameron escaped pretty easily considering how gnarly that crash looked and what we also know that our camera crew saw in the truck after the accident with, you know, Oops. kind of the lacerations that were causing Cameron's face to bleed with no windshield on his helmet. And he was sitting there kind of on all fours. And the best way I could put it is people said it was like a faucet, you know, and there was that much blood coming out of his face. So for him to end up as good as he is, um, and hopefully back at Coda, we're, we're all very lucky for that with, with, for him. Yeah. Good news for him. Cameron Bobier yeah. is still handsome as ever. He's just going to have a couple, couple of scars now, uh, unfortunately, but yeah, like you're saying, Jason, all, all the credit goes to Jade Kanye. He's wrapped up this championship. They still have four races left. Hopefully Bobier comes back, rebounds well after that incident. And, uh, yeah, it just continues on with Josh Aaron. Now, the question I think for for Medallia Superbike though comes in the in the fact of uh, you know is Chavi Flores going to get the nod? So he told me that if it's the way it is in Supersport, blah blah blah. We're going to talk about that in a second. But you know, adding him to the mix could be very interesting in terms of getting Ducati, you know, a race win. Josh did win a race this year. They won a lot of races with Petrucci last year, and Josh is 101 points back. But how would you? How would you? Like I'm impressed with Heron as well, for yeah. sure about what the year he's put together. But how would you kind of rate his performance versus what Petrucci was able to do in his first year? You know, I think the bikes are a little bit different, right? I mean, the bikes are a little bit different. Yeah, about ten percent. I was told about ten percent difference. Ten <clears throat> percent you know, improvement th- on this year's bike over Petrucci's bike. Plus, they ride completely differently as well. They ride different. Um, Look, I, I don't know if comparing the two are really anything. I've just been super impressed with Josh in the sense that yeah. he's, I, you know, there's been times where I felt like he's a bit fragile mentally with certain things. And this year he came into the series fit, which I was super happy about. Um, he's unquestionably a fighter. Like he, he will continue to fight, which I love. Uh, there's a lot of very, very big positives. And I think leading into next year, if all things stay the same, he can really be a threat next season to win races and the championship. And don't you think, Greg, too, that maybe, maybe if they would have had a second rider on that team this year, they could have developed that bike a little bit quicker. And I think that actually would have helped Josh. Now, I don't know how that would play in Josh's mind having a, a teammate. I kind of feel, and I've always felt that Josh does better as a kind of an underdog role. Like I always feel like Josh is one of those riders that um, when he's kind of the, the you know, by himself on a team um, and, and the efforts being put into him. And, and, and I even think about like when he was riding the Shivey BMW, remember the ride he put in at Indy where he had oh, that yeah. thing up in the front group at Indy. And so for me, I feel like Josh um, that, that a, if the team had a second rider, I think they would have come to maybe some setup stuff a little bit quicker and it would have helped him. 
But B, I don't know if he would have excelled as much as he did having a teammate because I don't know how that would play. And if that does happen next year, I think he's got to go into it with the positives of how well he's done this year and having a second bike next to him that could maybe help develop that Ducati more and get two Warhorse Ducatis up at the front because the word is, is that Chavi might be moving up and that's what we're all hoping for. And um, and I think for Heron, if he looks at that as it's a positive, I think he could be a real title fighter next year. I think the bike is it's plenty fast enough and they got it handling pretty well for him. So, you know, I think that, that those could be positive things. Before we move off Superbike, I got a really shout out to Richie Escalante. He was so close to a podium this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that 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 team keeps getting better and better, and we got to key in more on Escalante and see more of him because of the position he put himself in. And he's really coming into his own as a Superbike rider. But you, you got to tip the cap to the bike handling skills, and I was able to hang that that thing sideways. I'm not sure about the Suzuki straight line speed, so. You know, I'm a little bit hesitant to say he'll be in the same position at Coda because of those long straightaways at Coda. But mm. your thoughts, do you think Escalante is has enough in the tank with four races left, including Coda, but then we go to a more of a rider's track, I would say, in Jersey, and not just the layout of Jersey, but also because the surface is such trash that it's more of a rider's track. Do you see Escalante closing the deal this year and getting a podium with four rounds to go? Well... Dude, I think we'd be amiss to think to ourselves that what about his teammate? I mean, no, you look I know at what Posh Brandon Posh has done. Too. Dude, he's doing amazing. Mm-hmm. Like when I say amazing, I don't mean to sound shocked. I think that he's matured. I mean, I think Brandon Posh has matured so much in the last six months. As I don't think he needs to keep pushing his narrative that he's that he's out there. Like uh, you know, through his social media and stuff, there was always this like I felt. Like there was always this kind of look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm here. Don't forget about me. Now he's letting his writing do the talking and he's on a team that I think believes in him. And, um, and he has done an incredible job. I think, uh, seeing him from Laguna on, I mean, Greg, I I don't want to curse the kid, but he has not made any big mistakes. You haven't seen that thing coming in on the crash truck. He's chipping away at things. I think it's a great welcome for Richie Escalante to have a teammate that's as fast as him. And, those guys can help develop together. They're both great guys. So I would love to see either one of them on the podium. Um, I think to your point, I think that Coda could be a bit of a struggle for those guys just because of the bike. Um, even though that team has come such a long way with getting the development of that bike better. I think that with, you know, three BMWs and a Ducati and of course the attack bikes at that track, <laughs> yeah. it could maybe be a little two, bit maybe two Ducatis too. Yeah, yeah, might be yeah, two yeah. Ducatis. Maybe two Ducatis. So, but yeah. but Jersey, you know, again, a great rider's track for Escalante and a place that Brandon knows like the back of his hand. So, I think that yeah. when you look at those places, I'd love it would be great for our series to get M4 up on the podium. So, you know, let's yes. hope that that does get to happen. That would be great. Speaking and, of that, and, James, and also, real sport, quick, hey, real quick, yeah. hey, let's not forget yeah. who had pole position either. Let's not forget who had pole yeah, position. Yeah, Bobby Fawn. Bobby, but just, yeah, it was, it was good. And Bobby, he backed it up like after he got pulled too, with like a time that was only like a 10th off. So Bobby Fong in the mix, he keeps getting used to this bike. So we'll see. And I mean, the fact that he's working and everything else, it's, uh, we got so many good stories in Superbike for sure. Moving on to Super Sport, uh, you know, it was, 
I think all eyes were on Xavi Flores and if he could wrap up the championship early because of that opportunity of being on the superbike. He also told me, and I'd mentioned it on the air, that if he was really close to winning this championship, they would consider putting him on the bike at, at Circuit of the Americas as well. And I think because it's a really good opportunity, we know the Ducati can eat. So it's a good opportunity, you know, and, and the track seems to suit European styles like like Chavis and stuff. But it was Mesa who ends up winning Super Sport in race one and Chavi Flores in second, Ty Scott in third. And then you had Ty Scott with the win, Chavi and Mesa. So they, they flip-flopped around. Hayes was nowhere to be seen on the weekend. But, Jay, so that Crazy. leaves us with four races to go. That's 100 points. Chavi mm-hmm. has an 86-point lead over Ty Scott and a 99-point lead over Mesa. So those are the only two riders that remain in the in the quote-unquote mathematical hunt for the championship. If you are the Warhorse right. team, do you put Chavi Flores with an 86-points lead you know, do 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 put him in Superbike as well and let him do double do. We know physically he can do it. He does endurance racing and stuff. Would you do it? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I if look if they've yeah, got the too. bike sitting there, if they've got the mm-hmm. bike sitting there, sure. Um, because you got to do. You also got to do the math. It's eighty six points over Mesa. Is that what it is? Mm, no, over Ty Scott. At, over Ty Scott. So Ty Scott would basically have to win all four races. It, it, let's just say that something silly happened and, and Chavi was to get injured or something. Okay. Um, it, it, Ty Scott would have to win all four going out. I think that's going to be a tough task. Um, not saying. Right. It so if done, you look at, if but, you look at it like this, let's, let's just take the first one. So after race one, there's only 75 points left, right? So after race one, at Coda mm-hmm. for super sport, only 75 points left. So that's 11 points. So, so mm. all Chavi has to do is score either 11 or more points to tie Scott or, or only mm-hmm. give away, sorry, give away 11 points, right? So what's right. the difference? One, one to three to, yes. to keep it alive. Ty would have to beat him up. I don't see – look, the, the Chavi has complained about the power of the V2 uh, coming off the corner, but this is going to be the real test to see if the balancing works – as we know, like, say, Josh Hayes at the beginning of the year was having a hard time coming off the corner, but then his bike would open up in fourth, fifth, and sixth gear. We'll see if the Ducati's got the same characteristic. I'm not convinced that the V2, with the amount of races it's won. Now, he hasn't won in four races, but he also won all the races before that. So, you know, yeah, we'll, it's, we'll it's, see when we it get It is a bummer to hear up. those guys. It's, it's hard to swallow when a team is complaining about their bike being slow. When they've won, how many races has he won? Six, like seven, eight. 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 He won eight or races. Eight of 12. Got a huge points lead. Like, like, and Moto America has shown that they're, they're willing to move things around. And, you know, like, I don't know if they're doing any of that for Coda, but when you've won eight races and you're leading the championship by, you know, over three, race, three races, um, you sit there and you think, like, Let's just take the two second places on the chin, maybe, and and move on to Coda and try to win the championship. Now, the the one thing that's that's difficult is the fact that the Super Sport race and the Super Bike races at Coda, they're actually back to back both days, both Saturday, yeah, and Sunday. So that is that is uh, going to be a little bit tougher for him, and especially depending on the heat and those kind of things. So it would have been cool. If they could have put like um, maybe put the hooligan race between the super sport race and the super bike race, just to 
you know, just to separate our two like main classes. Uh, and there's, I know there's reasons for that, that they don't do that, but if that would have been nice for him, it would have been better. But uh, Josh Hayes would have liked that the race before when he did had to do two back to back as well. And by yeah. the way, JD Beach, I want to say in Superbike, he had a really solid weekend. I think he, he met or exceeded expectations. And we're waiting to hear who's going to be on filling in for Cam Peterson in Superbike at Coda. Could be Hayes, could be JD Beach. We know JD Beach, I think, is coming to the last one to Jersey for sure. Yeah. Is that right? Anyway, we'll is, that, is that what you know? I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. That's what I heard. But Because I think he, you know, he's got the weekend off, the Coda weekend. The, the weekend prior is the final round of. AFT. So the weekend prior yes. to Coda. So he he would have that weekend off, you know, unless he's going to go put his feet up in Hawaii or something, which let's just be honest. It's not really about that. that. It's about it's about what they promised to Hayes and, you know, that type of stuff. Like, God. like JD's available, but yeah, it has to do with, you know, some other some other factors that are going on. Got it. Know? So yep. anyway, yep. we'll see. Looking forward to Super Sport. It was uh, – <clears throat> The racing in Supersport was really good. I was so pumped for, for Mesa and his big win. He won a tenth of a second over Flores. I was really glad to see him get that that his second win. And uh, yep. it was Supersport was was good all the way around. Um, let's, yeah, let's Mesa, go to Mesa Junior rode Cup. awesome. Yep, he did. He rode awesome. Let's go to Junior Cup real quick, Jay, because we talked about Avery Dreyer. He ends up winning the championship uh, based off of the you know DQ Rossi Moore. So he's got fifty two points over Hayden Bickney's. There's only 50 left because they don't come to Coda. They come to Jersey. But right. Avery Dreyer wins both races. The first one by 36 hundredths of a second and the second one by three hundredths of a second. And mm. he did it exactly the same way. So in terms of what Avery Dreyer was able to accomplish this weekend and race IQ and, and watching him race and listening to his post-race interviews, what did you think? I loved it. I mean – he is, uh, he's going to be fun to see where he ends up next year. Um, he's got more wins than anybody in the class this year. He's shown more consistency than anybody in the class. Uh, and he's, he's grown up. I mean, he's got to see what it's like to go to bed at night with points leads and, um, go to bed at night with some adversity as well. Like he's, like we saw in Brainerd. So he's a very worthy champion and, um, he did a, an incredible job all season long. I think he's pretty poised the way he speaks and talks and, um, you know, it's going to be fun to see where he where he ends up going from here forward, Judo. Yeah, I think it's a gr- it's a great job. He's tall yeah. too, so you know I, it wouldn't surprise me if he lands in at least Twins Cup, if not Super yep. Sport. I think Twins Cup would probably be a good a good place for him to go. And speaking yep. of Twins Cup, well, Rocco Landers ends up winning race number one by three seconds over Blake Davis and Gus Rodeo, and then Gus Rodeo ends up beating. Landers by a tenth of a second, and Blake Davis was right there as well. So rodeo, dude, coming down to it, I think they're not at Coda either. They're at Jersey, so they only have three races Jersey. left. So it's Blake Davis eight points over Rocco Landers, or sorry, Gus Rodeo has eight points over Blake Davis, who has another six points to Rocco. So Rocco's fourteen points in this championship behind. Wow, with 50. only those three. And we're going to Gus Rodeo's home track, right? Yeah. Like, so there's going to be Gus Rodeo fan club is going to be out. And I think that that second race at Coda, uh, sorry, Coda, the second race at Pitt was a gigantic swing in points because Rocco had the lead to the last corner and he had a substantial lead leaving the chicane. And I don't know exactly what happened because our cameras didn't catch it, but something happened going into the last corner. And it allowed Gus to close right up and draft Rocco to the line. And that is a 
it's essentially a 10 point swing in the points, right? It's five less for for Gus and it would have been five more for Rocco. And when you look at it, the fact that that happened, I sit there and I think, wow, that, that was the race that could have won Gus the championship. Now I know there's a lot of racing to go and we might have a few more guys at the front at Jersey. It's a lot of guys home races. So for Gus, you know, he, that's, it's his home stopping grounds. I mean, now on one side of it, you sit there and go like, it's got to be a huge benefit for him to be going there on the other side. Once you start seeing all the friends and family and people and expectations, it's going to be, how does Gus handle this? And so we're going to learn a lot about it. And I think he's done a really good job fighting back after the barber weekend that he had. And um, he is the one that kind of um, has been showing that he can, he can get up to the speed of, of Rocco. He did it at Laguna. And then even at this track, um, it's good to see a couple guys bring in the fight. Cause I think Rocco's just such an incredible rider and the moves he was making during that race on the weekend. Um, I think he's like the only guy that can make some of those moves, you know, through the S's and through turns three and four and incredible amount of racecraft. But, but man, at the end of the day, he got beat. Gus Rodeo beat him, and and that was a big point swing. It was it was cool to watch. I think that's the first mm-hmm. heads up fight that I can think of where Rocco where Rocco didn't win. Really, a heads up fight didn't come out on top. You know, he missed right. he missed the first round of the season, so he had no points. Scored zero points in his first race, and then a couple races ago, he crashed out at Laguna. Right, so basically, when when Rocco's finished, it's been nothing but podiums. But I still think that if Gus Rodeo can pull this championship off over Blake and Rocco. I don't want to discount Blake. Blake rode really well in the second race, and it was very evenly matched. And I don't think the Aprilia is going to have a massive advantage over the Yamaha. They do have a little bit of speed on them. I think Blake right. can make it up for sure. But yep. it's going to be – it's it, it, if, if Gus can pull this off, I think that this is one of those seasons that, that could set Gus Rodeo off into a different stratosphere, meaning like, hey, man – Rocco came swinging. Once, yep. once, once he started winning, he won five of six races in a row. Then he fell yep. off and won another one. And Gus has been there, chipping away, chipping away, and won the race he needed to win to keep a little bit of that points lead coming in. Because if you look at it, he can let Rocco win both races. And if Gus can yep. finish in second place because he got 14 over him and he keeps Blake behind him, he's going to win this championship by four points. Yeah, and no, there's a you know I agree with you. He doesn't have to put as much at risk as Rocco's going to have to put at risk. That's what I mean, though. That that pass at the finish line was huge as far as points go. Huge. It was really, really, really big because it it, it definitely huge. allows him a, a little bit more benefits. Um, but you know, Greg, there's a lot of things that can happen in a race, as we know. It could be a weather, lot. could be anything. And the kid, the kid went out and did the double at um, he did the double at Daytona right off the bat at the beginning of the year, and those fifty points banked were. Those are, those are paying off right now. Um, but yeah, and I think that he's got to stare at Rocco in the eyes every day. He's his teammate, so he's got to look over and see him. And everybody knows. I mean, Rocco's set the standard for Junior Cup and Twins Cup. That, he has legitimately set the standard for those classes in the past and won championships and a ton of races. So, you know, you know we, we, when you look at it and you think about what Josh Hayes has done this year by what, becoming the winningest rider – I mean, Rocco's got to have – how many races wins does he have, Gray? I know you, I'm putting you on the spot, but he's got to have like 35 or 40 probably between Junior Cup and Twins Cup over his career. Oh, um, yeah. He's, 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 he's already he's, well up on the all-time wins list, 100%. Yeah. 
and he's already won. He's won super sport races. So, I mean, like what Gus is doing is great. So let's just see how Jersey pans out. It's going to be, it's going to be really, really fun to see how that, how that works itself out. So, yeah. Want to send out a huge congratulations to Michaela Moore, who ends up with a perfect season in Royal Enfield's build train race. She raced what seven races and won them all. But also want to keep an eye on on Sonia Lloyd, uh, Sonia Lloyd of Lloyd's Brothers, by the way. You know, ends up really kind of figuring some stuff out at the end of the season and, and gave Michaela a run for her money a couple of times in these last couple of races, and ends up second in the points over Crystal Martinez. But um, what's interesting, Jay, is I think that there's some people that feel that Royal Enfield Build Train Race has been more of like a you know more PR for Royal Enfield and being in racing and stuff, but. The issue is, is that Michaela Moore, having cleaned it and having won races by a huge margin, she's turned some heads. And I know that she got to test uh, test a bike or two on Monday after uh, the race at Pit Race. I think Ducati Revs or something had a track day. And she got to go out there and do some laps on, I think, a, a Twins Cup bike. So it, mm. it Michaela so cool. Moore isn't going to be one of these Royal Enfield Bill Train races. Uh, racers that fades away i think that people are looking at her and saying wait a second is this a is this a racer that we can cultivate their talent we can look at putting her on a different type of bike you know like like the ninja 400 which i believe she has i know she races a an r6 in in the region she lives in the like the mid-atlantic region so congratulations to her any comments I mean, on that yeah comment is i'm an idiot because i i I still have never got to meet Michaela and I'm so impressed with her. And, um, don't worry. Jeff White knows her. So, you know, as long as Jeff, Jeff White, White knows her, everybody knows her. Yeah. If Jeff White knows, he knows everybody. Jeff White. Did he, did he get a five free contract after ride Monday at Pitt? Do you know? No, I don't know. I don't know. He's like, Oh, he's coming to race motor to Dunlop, man. So no, no, he's too old. He's got his Arai helmet all sorted out and he's, yeah. I mean, good old Jeff White. Oh, hey, he, 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 listen, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he took it to. You let him in the booth. Too, uh, I couldn't believe you let him in the booth. You've come a long way, Greg. You've come a long way. You, you, you've softened me up because of that cold. You know? <laughs> Having cold in the booth. Yeah, I can't believe I asked them either. I was just like, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's you fun. let him hang out. It's good to see. It was good to see Jeff White. We got to go have some dinner and all that all stuff. Right. But you know what's funny, Jay, is that back uh-huh. in the day. All right. So you know how the paddocks laid out at pit race. You have yeah. factory yeah. semis. Then you kind of move to like really big trailers, then mid-sized trailers, all the way down yeah. to canopies that are all the way mm-hmm. by P1, okay? In the okay. old days, a couple people knew Jeff White in the factory. You know, you'd get, you'd get to the big trailers, and every now and then someone would be like, hey, Greg White's brother. But, dude, when we walked through this time, we get all the way down to the canopies, and it was still, yo, Jeff White, Jeff White, yo, 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 what are you doing? You're here. Oh, you got to – I'm like, dude, are seriously, do you know everybody? And he's hugging everybody, you know. He's Mr. Crackhead, man. 50, on his scooter and his crocs. On his scooter and his, and his crocs. Oh, my God. Hannah said something to him that was the best about the crocs, but I, I can't yeah. repeat it on this podcast. Can't repeat it, but, God, I love Hannah. She's the best. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. that's Moto America. We look forward to our next race at Circuit of the Americas coming up in a couple weeks, and we'll preview that, obviously, on the podcast and talk about what's coming. But we also had MotoGP uh, that, that raced up in – uh, well, in Austria, and why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because, of course, we had our little uh, sprint race for MotoGP. That was won mm-hmm. by Pecco. Two seconds back was Binder. Jorge Martin <laughs> ends up in third place, five seconds back. The bowling ball. 
Uh, Alex Marquez in fourth, <laughs> Jack Miller in fifth. Yeah. All right. And then if we move to the feature race, Bagnaya again, five seconds over Binder, Padzecki, Marini in fourth, Marquez in fifth place, Vinales in sixth, Martin back there, Quadraro in eighth. Some some surprises, uh, you know, in, in, in free practice one, Quadraro, I believe, was leading the way, and it was like, wait a second, what is going on here? Marquez mm-hmm. ends up scoring. Mark Marquez scores points in 12th, Zarco back in 13th. So you saw the racing, you saw Pecco, you saw the domination, both sprint and extended race. What are your thoughts this deep into the season as Pecco seems to have matured and he's not making uh, dumb mistakes anymore? I mean, he just kind of looks like he's a step up on everybody, doesn't he? Like, you're going to get the Bedzeckis and the Martins and Binder. Those guys can, on any given weekend, win a race. There's no question about that. Um but it, but there's one guy that's there every single weekend, and that's and that's Peko Bagnaya. So I think that when you look at it, uh, he is he's just I don't think he's going to make the same mistakes that he made in the past to let everybody back in. I think he loves to control races from the front too, and he does a good job at that. Like when he has clear track and he can just put his lap times down, and um, he, he just he looks a little bit unbeatable right now. Austria was a little bit boring for me. I love the fact that you called Martina bowling ball um, because that first turn, the first turn in Austria is shit um, as are some of the tracks that, 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 you know, occasionally we run into where first turns Coda. aren't very good. <clears throat> yeah. Coda's not probably the best one either. There's, there's others too, but it's, um, yeah, but, there are plenty but, others. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like when you look at what Martin did, he was kind of up the inside and it, like the problem is that, you can look at things as racing incidents. You can look at things as we've created a narrative now where if somebody touches somebody else, the chain reaction that was started, I'm not going to say wasn't Martine's fault, but it's created by such close racing. And that's never changed. It's always been that way. The crash with Marini, I didn't think it was Jorge's fault. That was strictly a racing incident. Marini knew that Zark, that, that Martine was past him and he tipped in not even, it wasn't even Marini's fault, but it, if you watch, he just hits his elbow on on Martin's foot peg, and it just jars the bars out of his hands, and he loses the front. And and but coming off of what happened in turn one at the start of the race, that made Martin look pretty bad. What I think is super funny is that, in, and I called you that night. I think those guys had all left the track, and at seven p.m., he finds out that he's going to get a long lap penalty for Sunday's race. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It me up. It like Look, I, 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 don't, up. I don't think Martin should have been penalized for anything. I mean, he made a bad decision going up the inside. He knew the consequences coming, right? And he hit some people. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It's it's bad. But once again, Jay, I go back to the point of these penalties are supposed to be like uh, you know, curbing the rider's desire to make mistakes, I guess, like to control, but it's not helping. You know what I mean? Like he still, he knew if he goes up the inside and the moment that he touched somebody, I would imagine that whole race, he's looking at his board going, where's the penalty? Where's the long lap penalty? Right. Yeah. And I, I think that it, it it's not effective. It's not doing anything. It's not curbing anybody. You have the, you have the, the solution, which is if you really have a problem with the rider and the way that they're reacting, Go find their team owner, fifty grand. They'll they'll straighten themselves up. 
You know, but well, it's, it, to me, it's it's like why why do it? What what it reeks of is other teams gnawing at the the FIM, you know, saying that this should happen, this should happen, this should happen, and then seven o'clock at night they issue a thing saying, "All right, by the way, you get a long lap." It's like, dude, come on. At yeah. that point, it's, why bother? It's and it, sometimes I feel like it causes. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just is what it is now. Yeah. You know, you kind of kind of deal yeah. with it. And race direction does what race direction does. I mean, our race direction, it it um, even it even at pit, it's uh, you know that, that the chicane there. There's just look, Ugh. we we want to make Ugh. it to where they always say they want to make it to where referees or any of that stuff stay out of it more. And um, it is kind of what it is. But you know, the problem is, is Martin got dinged for for going out onto the green paint by what it didn't even look as anywhere close to as bad as what Bagnaya did at Donington. I mean, Bagnaya is, it's like they almost, they almost insult you by saying, Oh no, what you're actually looking at there is incorrect. And you then you think, huh? <laughs> it's the wildest thing, but you know, that's a whole nother thing. What about Moto2? Dude, Moto2, Vietti wins over Pedro Acosta. Ayogura, my boy, back on the box. Now he's five seconds back. Uh, then Jake Dixon, Chantra, Arbolino, Salich. But, dude, Vietti and Acosta. Unreal. What did you think about it? it was, Vietti was, like, next next level. You know, the thing that's crazy to me is Vietti just shows these. Remember last year he won, like, the first, I don't know, he won, like, three out of the first five races or something. And it was like, well, Vietti's going to win the championship. And Vietti's going to go to MotoGP. And Vietti, Vietti, and the next thing you know, the guy's throwing it on the deck every weekend. He's finishing 14th. He's way far back. He's not even close. And then... You have a weekend like this one where Vietti gets himself up into second and Acosta is going to go ahead and win by three or four seconds and Vietti's going to finish second. And next thing, Vietti's marching himself towards Acosta, passes him and pulls him away with ease. And you think, wow, like Vietti is really, really, really good. And where is he at on all these other weekends? Um, it's actually kind of a little bit bizarre. So for Vietti, uh, tremendous victory. What does that do for him moving forward? I think that when you start to look at, um, you know, they still got so much racing to go, don't they? I mean, they have got so much racing to go. Mm -hmm. So when you start to look at, um, I'm just trying to find out. summer break wasn't even like halfway. Correct. (laughs) That's the thing. They're going to be so tired at the end of the year. 100%. So I can never find championship. I'm looking for, oh, here we go. Championship standings. Where is Vietti in the championship standings world, Greg? He is... There's nowhere. Probably nowhere. 176. Vietti is eighth right now. He's a, He's got 80 points. So he's... What is he, Greg? At 25 of them, he got this race. <laughs> yeah. So he's 80 points back to... You know, Acosta's got 176 points. He's, he's almost 100 points back. So, like, you got to think his season's... Crazy. It is what it is. Could he finish top three in the championship? Yeah, he could. But... We'll, we'll see what happens. But that's, that, that's the problem, though. It's like Vietti is not a talking point right now because he's like, just he just won a race. But Acosta, right where he needs to be in the championship. Yeah. Ayogura, yeah. is he back? This is the thing. It's taken him quite a while to get back. And so that's what I'm looking at for him and Jake Dixon on, you know, resigning with this team in fourth place. So far, hasn't won every race, to, you know, the season's out since he got all fired up about Darren Bender, uh, who we hope heals up pretty quickly. You want to move on to Moto Three? Bender got. He I never. I never got to. See, I, did you watch Moto Three? I didn't get to see it. Uh, yeah, I watched. I watched Moto Three. This time it came down to only like five to the end. 
but it was it was a it was a ding dong race, and it was all the players. Dennis Anju ends up winning by five thousandths of a second over oh, Lovato. Wow. Yeah, it was. Go back and watch it. Uh, Sasaki was a tenth behind um, Vire. This this you know this new kid Vire is like absolutely on fire. Hit another tenth back, and then it was Ortola, Rossi, Yamanaka, uh, Marrera. They were all like that three, five, eight seconds back. There was a big group back there. Very entertaining race. You know, it's so hard to break down Moto Three because it just seems like more of a crapshoot than it does a skill test. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you lose a draft or you crash, obviously you're out. But it's yeah. like where you place yourself and all that kind of stuff. So another good championship, good stuff. They race in Catalonia in two weeks, two weeks' time. So uh, they got this weekend off. Yeah, not this weekend, but the following, yeah. Correct. They got this, yep, they exactly. got this weekend off, and then they'll be there the following. So, um, yeah, so it's great. So let's look at some uh, let's look at some fantasy, shall we, real quick? Because – I know Damn. I got the text. I, I got the text from our boy Troy that he's back in the lead, and he is Troy yep. Simmons. He is. He's at fifth, yep. uh, one thousand five hundred eighty-three points. Second is Kingfisher at one thousand five hundred eighty-one point two five. So there's uh-huh. nothing in it at the front. Both of them have used two turbos. Moto Ranch forty-six is third. He's used one turbo. Uh, Zeplantis is fourth but has used up all their turbos. So when you look at our top 10 right now, every single person in the top 10 has used at least one. Most have used multiple turbos at this point. So, um, you know, it's going to get interesting now as the season goes, because you're going to start to get some people that are further back that are going to start jumping forward. I'm looking, Greg, just to see who the first person is. Uh, It's going to be... Red Tail Racing. Red Tail Racing in 16th <laughs> yep. place. In 16th place, see, that's the thing, like for me, points. For me, I think using turbos later in the year, because you can kind of, everybody's settled into, you got bikes that are developed, you have riders that are in certain positions. I think it's a little bit easier, but yeah. So but do you know why I don't use mine to the there. end of the year, even, the, even though I stink at this? You know why I don't use mine to the end of the year? Because if, if there's if there's injuries or if there's you know wild cards, so it kind of thins the field out a little bit, so that maybe you can jump up. Because if you look at what Red Tail Racing's done, they're at fifteen hundred and fifty points, and fifteen eighty three is leading. So when you when you they're at fifteen hundred point five zero, so they're essentially eighty three points behind right now, and and eighty three points behind having used no turbos. Red Tail Racing right now is in the driver's seat. Uh, because there's nobody else in the top 20 um, that has, gosh, Greg, I'm looking back. The next one, <laughs> 26. Wow. Shit idiots or shittiots. <laughs> I don't even know. Shit. The, the shittiots. The shittiots. I love it. Wait, is the that shittiots. you saying that you're the shittiots or you talk, is that like a, a no, slight I, on us? I, I stink. It could be. It could be. Well, you're going to look at it like, yeah, they're probably talking about us. So, they're 26. What a great name. So JP43, sponsor me. I see you, 29th. But those two right now uh, are looking pretty good. I, on the other hand, Greg, I am – I was up to 175th. I went back to yeah. 228th, and I got back up to 205th. So I'm at 205th right now. I'm just hoping – I, I want to get down to that top 100 somehow. That's where I'm shooting for. I'm at 192, so I'm still ahead of you, and that's all that you're matters. You're right there. Yeah, that's you're doing all, all right. That's all that matters. 
Jay, moving on to pro motocross because they had their penultimate round. Jet Lawrence, still perfect, goes one for one. So he's got one more round. They already wrapped up the championship as the Honda rider, Jet Lawrence. But he's got two more races, one more round at Ironman, which happens next weekend. We'll see if he's able to pull a Ricky Carmichael and walk away with a perfect season. In terms of his brother, Hunter Lawrence, Hunter Lawrence goes 2-1 to, to capture the overall. Justin Cooper went 1-2, and in pro motocross, the second moto is the tiebreaker. So the fact that Jet goes 2-1 and Justin Cooper goes 1-2 means that the win goes to Hunter Lawrence. And if you look at their championship in that 250 category, Hunter Lawrence leads 391 to 369. I don't know if that's the championship or not. There's there's 50 points on offer, so it's not. It's only 22 points. So he hasn't done it just yet. But keep on keep on going, Jet. This is this is pretty impressive to say the least. Yeah, yeah pretty um, good for sure. All right, so next week we'll see if Jet's perfect, and we're also going to preview Catalonia. Uh, make sure that you go to join us on the MotoGP Fantasy side. If you go to Game Hub on the new website, and by the way, if you're struggling with the new website, what you need to do is go to your web browser and you need to clear your MotoGP cookies. So go to MotoGP.com, go, and there's instructions there, but you want to clear all your cookies out of there. Uh, and then you should be able to log in <laughs> once. And, you know, Jason figured it out all his own. Congratulations, Jason. That Can you was, imagine I, I mean, figured something out? Just absolutely brilliant. But I know a lot of people have been struggling with the website. But you can go to fantasy.motogp.com and, and look at Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore League. Uh, whoever wins this league at the end of the season is going to win themselves an Arai helmet and a set of Dunlop Q5s. Second place gets Q5s. Third place gets a set of Q5s's for your motorcycle or someone that you love. And I got to make right, a so, hey, I gotta make a quick correction. What? Go ahead. Caroline actually hasn't used any of hers, and she's in twenty second. So she's actually oh. four spots ahead of of Shidiots. Oh. And so Old I saw. I just, I just after it. Yep, I just saw that she actually hasn't used any of hers either. So she's so right, she's sorry, 20, Carol. So, yeah, just I just I, I was just sitting here. I'm going through all these and I'm looking. I'm like, oh yeah. So so there you go. All right. Well, that'll do it for our podcast. So say goodbye to everybody, Jason. Hey, everybody, have a great weekend. Whatever you're doing, I'm gonna enjoy one at home. G Dub, good luck being Robin Hood back there. Go shoot some apples off people's Thank heads, you. and we'll be chatting soon. <laughs> Idiots. Everybody should have just called you a shitty it.